Dumelang Mzanzi, I am Nolu Tando Ngakani, the head of news at Health for Mzanzi, the brand new baby sister of Food for Mzanzi. And yes, it is that Food for Mzanzi, the agricultural publication, that took the country by storm. At Health for Mzanzi, we explore the often complex relationship between health and food. Joining me on this podcast is my colleague, Sinesi Potong. Hey Lulu, I'm so ready to be joining you on episode 2 of Sisters Without Shame. Proudly brought to you by Health Form Zanzi. And if you're wondering why we are calling this Sisters Without Shame, well, you know those secret medical shames you simply cannot share with anyone else. You don't need to suffer in silence anymore. Every week, we will be your sisters in shame, holding your hand as we unpack your ailments with an expert who has all the answers to those embarrassing health questions you would not dare ask in public. This podcast is a safe space and there will be no judgment. A lot of surprises, of course, but no judgment from us. So if you've got a suspicious growth on your bum, or maybe your bladder muscles are weakening, no problem, you have definitely come to the right place. I'm a firm believer in celebrating every tiny victory. And Sine, I can't believe it's episode two. Let's get into it with our friend in crisis segment. In every episode, we will listen to a voice note, read a WhatsApp, or email message received from a Health Form Zanzi reader. Your messages are confidential, and we will never mention your name unless you want us to. Sine, who is our friend this week? Well, Lulu, this little note comes from a wary friend in Johannesburg. She has asked to remain anonymous. Anonza writes, Hi, Sine and Lulu. I am feeling an overwhelming set of feelings where I'm not making the right decisions in my work and personal life. Since the pandemic, these one separate lives have intertwined and I'm struggling to separate them. Every day feels like a Monday morning and sleep isn't even an escape for me anymore. Mundane or normal things just feel like a weight on my shoulders. Work is fine, I guess. I do the task and receive credit and information for the work. But I often feel like I do not deserve it because I could have done more. I feel defeated every single day. I'm emotionally, physically and mentally wounded and I can't catch my breath because it's on to the next task. My stomach is often in knots, my body is tense and I'm always nauseous. I haven't washed my hair in weeks because I don't have time. I refuse to ask for help as well because self-doubt and I feel guilty that I'm not working enough. I can relate. Sometimes there are not enough hours in the day to really sit down and take care of yourself. We get so busy. I think sometimes as women of color, we have this habit of neglecting ourselves. This week was a bit of a deep one, Lulu. It's true that everyone experiences temporary periods of sadness and times of worry and nervousness. But what about when those feelings don't go away? You know, too often women of color try to muscle their way through depression and anxiety. Phrases like strong black women are problematic and really limit us in terms of what we are supposed to feel. Calling us strong means that we are not allowed to crumble or be fragile or even delicate. Yo, hi Lulu, I'm not a Bogoto shame. The strong woman in me is dead. <laughs> but on to pressing matters. Our expert this week is centurion-based psychologist Lumga Mabo. Our expert runs Lumga Mabo Inc., a private practice in Centurion and mostly deals with patients who are working professionals. 
I think we all feel the pressure in the pandemic, né? but our friend seems like she is quite distressed and I know a buzzword, especially in the pandemic, has become burnout. How can you then as an individual catch the early signs of burnout and begin to address it? First of all, I think it will be important for us to start with acknowledging and truly acknowledging that we are psychosocial, spiritual and physiological beings. And quite often we like to sort of separate ourselves into components or compartments and we want to function only at a, a uni level, if I may say. So early stages of burnout would obviously be seen with, you know, changes in your mood, for example, is a big red flag, if I may just start there. Your tolerance levels as well, they tend to decrease. Your threshold for patience, for example, also decreases. So for me, the mood is the number one thing that stands out when somebody is suffering from some sort of a burnout or early stages of depression or even early stages of anxiety. The mood is the most primary profit of the body, if I may say. I can relate because sometimes I'm very short with people. My head is buzzing <laughs> from all the buzziness and stuff. You know, interactions with people make it also easier for us to learn more about ourselves when we are going through a burnout. Because in most cases, we are so in denial, or then it's not being in denial or being ignorant, but it's being totally unaware. You're just not aware. So the interactions with other people, you'll sort of get feedback that yesterday, you know, you were not your normal self. So that also is another thing that one can acknowledge about themselves and probably attend to before it develops further, because we're talking about early signs of burnout. Before it develops further, you can sort of deal with it. And then your zeal, your desire, your passion also wears off. So that's what burnout is, is about. The things that you would most mostly go out all out for are now no longer that important. It's almost as if devaluing what you used to praise or what you used to really have the energy for or the drive for. So definitely burnout is, of course, an emotional and physiological and mental and exhaustion of some sort. Sorry, Lumka, when you know, when you speak of, you know, interactions, you know, sometimes when I find that I'm overwhelmed, I get very irritated. You know, that's how I sometimes interact with my colleagues or I become very moody. So it kind of makes sense as to how burnout or being overwhelmed or just mentally exhausted can, can affect how you interact with other people. Thank you, Sne. On what you are saying, if, if you allow me to add as well, you know, this withdrawal thing that we do, it, it's a very dangerous, self-sabotaging coping mechanism. At times when we realize that we're not okay, the natural instinct is to withdraw from people, is to go and sit in your room or sit in your office and not interact because you realize or you've become aware that people now are starting to notice that you're not okay and they're not feeling your vibe, if I may just speak in that colloquial language. So then you withdraw, <laughs> and in withdrawing, you find that your mood further becomes depressed. 
initially were withdrawing because you didn't want people to pick up this mood or this vibe that you have, which is your spirit being down. Now that you are secluded in a room, you've withdrawn totally, then your mood becomes further depressed and you start falling into now a loop of depression or an episode of depression. Prioritizing mental health has long been frowned upon, especially in the workplace. And recently, we've seen Simone Biles decide to prioritize her mental health over competing in the Olympics. This was obviously met with a lot of backlash, with some calling her decision un-American and unpatriotic. Where do you draw the line between work responsibility and stepping away to prioritize your mental well-being? Stigma is a big, big issue. I know since I was studying 10 years ago, I've been talking about how to do away with stigma as far as mental health is concerned, but it seems that it's not going away at all. But however, there is a bit of progress with regards to that, especially now during the time of COVID. People are really, really struggling psychologically with just sitting at home, they're doing absolutely nothing. That can also be such a struggle mentally. And then people want to take that lightly. I hope now those who frown upon or who who stigmatize mental health or attempt to attend to mental health, then they might as well use this pandemic as, as a gateway to receive such services. When you've got a reason such as, you know, I'm exhausted from COVID, I'm exhausted from compliance, then it's not so frowned upon as when you say, I think I might be depressed. You know, we are constantly in relationships with ourselves, with other people, with habits or objects, but we are in a constant um, roller coaster of relationship, or if maybe I may use a different word, would be interactions. So obviously, when you are not okay, you are going to experience abuse. The dynamics of your relationship will be manifesting a lot of abuse, whether it's abuse extended to the self or abuse from the self to other, but there will definitely be abuse. What do I mean by this? Lulu and Sine. I mean that, for example, if you don't attend to your mental health, for example, small little things can trigger unconscious issues that you're not even aware of. From there on, you will start projecting your mental issues that are unconscious unto other people. And in trying to cope with those unconscious issues, you then adopt coping mechanisms that are maladaptive. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. That song, Hurt People, Hurt People. (laughs) Exactly. So if you do feel that you are not mentally or 100% functioning the way you desire to function at, then rather take a step back and attend to that. It's not only at the time of a diagnosis or at a time where you are diagnosed with a disorder or a mental disorder, that you then go and consult or that you then take yourself seriously mentally. It is at a time where you just feel exhausted and you don't know why. That's the time you go for intervention or that's where you sort of deal with whatever that is happening within yourself, whether you're consulting or you are just going to use your coping mechanisms. 
So, but basically it is very important to prioritize it because if you don't, it always escalates to something else. It grows into something else. Like, you know how we, especially I think black women, we never like to make room to crumble. <laughs> like we always feel like we don't yeah. have time to crumble. We've been deprived over the years of being ourselves. And I feel that the women of the 21st century are also overcompensating. I have nothing against women empowerment and us striving to become independent mentally, psychologically, and what have you. But I also feel that we exert so much pressure and that pressure is the one that makes us to crumble at some point because we don't have a safest place where you go and become replenished and become rejuvenated. When I said a car needs to be safest, if you buy a car at 15,000 kilometers, it needs to be taken for service. So us as black women in the 21st century, we are so all about achievements. We are so all about, I need to get that. We are about goals, but we are forgetting to save ourselves in the process of us achieving those goals. So then ultimately we become burnout. Ultimately, we don't have time for meaningful relationships. And at the end of the day, you are older with no meaningful relationship and you are so depressed and you resent the decisions that you've made in your youth or in your young adult life. And then on to our next question from me then, Lumka, would be, since we're busy unpacking a Black woman's place in the workplace and now we've got this burnout, like what do you do? Do you just up and quit? Absolutely no. Because if you quit, you will be sort of affirming that voice that says you are inadequate and you can't cope and you're falling apart. You'll just be putting a stamp on it. So for me, no. But as much as I've said that, the employer is an obligation towards you as an employee, first of all. And that is to make sure that wellness programs are proactive. They are using preventative strategies preventative strategies that will prevent you from falling into such things as burnout or these other mental issues. It is also your responsibility to feel that you're not okay. Yes, put up leave, go and attend to yourself, to the doctor and bring all the medical certificates. And then of course, again, there's nothing that an employer can do when you are being booked off on the basis of you not being well. But I have seen also that employers are very stubborn. They want to scare their employees or threaten them with losing their jobs, etc. So then you, as an employee, you find no other option but to go to work even though you're not feeling well. And with that, then it becomes quite a dilemma. I don't want to lie because you being unemployed also makes you feel like you are really useless in the world because there's families to feed and so forth. You've got responsibilities. So you end up stomaching it. But until when? Until you probably fall at work and pass out and you wake up at a hospital unconscious. A lot of things can happen when we don't allow ourselves to undergo necessary processes that will assist us to cope better or to function better. When you talk about how you can't quit because you've got mouths to feed, I'm just thinking like now if you were to tell your black parent that you're quitting your job, I don't know, they'll probably look at you like you're crazy also. You'll be a spoiled brat, I promise you. <laughs> I 
then they're going to tell you that we've been working for years. What depression is <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, you know, depression, because I know that you'd be depressed if you're actually even leaving work to stay, to stay unemployed. That would depress you because you're so used to being independent and now you have yeah. to ask for money. So that would be depressing. But speaking of that, um, what is the difference between burnout, depression and anxiety? Ultimately, the effects of these things are dysfunction. Dysfunction in your personal life, in your social life, dysfunction cognitively in your thought processes that is such as reasoning, uh, concentration, attention, your ability to make sound decisions, basically. So that's the first level of dysfunction, the cognitive level, right? The second level is obviously now your physiological wellness. Now you start having tendon, headaches, muscle spasms, um, pains that are not explained by medical practitioners. You go to a doctor and they say, we can't find anything wrong with you. And then it is left to the psychologist to deal with that. And then the other one obviously then would be your occupational space or aspect also being dysfunctional one way or the other. For example, where you make so many mistakes at work, you're often absent now because there's this and there's that. Today you were sick with the headache, tomorrow you have a runny tummy. And you're not necessarily faking these things, but it's your psychological being letting you know that now I cannot bear it anymore. And the physiological then suffers the consequences because it's more like a glass of water. You know, if, if you take a glass of water, and you continue to pour water even when it's full. Ultimately, that water falls over the glass and it falls all the way going to the floor and etc. So imagine now you being emotionally, or if you are psychologically not okay, emotionally not okay, mentally not okay, and you don't attend to such, it then falls over to your physiological being. Your sleep pattern starts being disturbed, your appetite starts changing, and then your drive, your energy levels on your body, your zeal to wake up and attend to things that needs to be attended to, those are all physiological. And then of course, the mood component again. So they share similar symptoms. They burn out anxiety and the depression. They seem to share the end results, all of them, which is dysfunction, like I've explained. But let's go back now on top. I just started with the ending, okay? I hope you're with me. <laughs> oh, yes, we are. <laughs> if we were to separate them from the level of how they manifest, depression is more of a mood disorder. So it will be everything around the mood where you've got either or you can have one mood, you can have a combination of mood types. One can have a labial mood where that one is actually found mostly on manic episodes. You know, when depression becomes so severe, it tends to also go towards a bipolar situation or then it becomes more towards the suicidal side. So others, they become suicidal because they have lost hope. They feel helpless. They feel worthless and also they feel that nobody can show them any better about life. 
So worthlessness, helplessness, helplessness. Those are the main symptoms of the mood disorder called depression. So then if we go to anxiety, anxiety is simply explained as excessive worry. The excessive worry could be based on real factual issues in your life. And at times it is real factual issues in your life, but they are exaggerated by an underlying core belief, core belief that's a negative core belief that sabotages your rise or you walking away from the shell, which keeps you imprisoned, which is anxiety. So basically, if, for example, you have these patterns, these negative patterns alongside your anxiety, then it is bad because you're not going to be able to even exercise the coping mechanisms coping with the anxiety, but it is more of an excessive worry with physical symptoms, which can be observed. Shortness of breath, sweating, feeling like something is going to happen, something bad, feeling that people don't like you anymore, feeling very anxious about almost anything and everything around you. Some people even feel like they're going to have a panic attack, which also feels like a heart attack. So it's just fear of almost everything around you and excessive worry about certain things that you don't understand or that you're not sure of. Now we're going into a full session, but often (laughs) I will also feel like quite inadequate and like I'm not doing enough. So um, let's Mm. talk about imposter syndrome and what it is and how you can silence that little voice that's always telling you that you are not enough. You know, I am hearing your question, but I am also very concerned about the idea of silencing, of silencing that little voice. That little voice is playing a very important role. And that role is to let you know that, girl, you've got something to deal with. Thank you for joining us, Lumka Mabo. Remember to check out the detailed article on burnout in the workplace on healthformzanzi.co.za. To write to Sisters Without Shame, email hello at healthformzanzi.co.za. That's H-E-L-L-O at healthformzanzi.co.za. Or even pop us a WhatsApp on 076-132-0454. That's 076-132-0454. This was quite a heavy episode to unpack on episode 2 of Sisters Without Shame, proudly brought to you by Healthform Zanzi. But as promised, this is a no-holds-barred podcast and we discuss with the little awkward dilemmas that people deal with daily. Sine, what is the take-home message today? Sure, where do I even begin? A big take-home message for me is how it is okay to crumble. You don't always have to be the strong one. Crumble, babes. No disrespect to the woman who raised us, but we learn to be strong and unbreakable from them. There is never room to choose fragility in our households. I know that it is okay not to be okay. Just seek out help before you really do crumble. Crumble! <laughs> crumble, baby! Barry, you know, we are a sad generation. And <laughs> all I'm thinking about is the introspection I must do after this episode. I really take my hat off to Lumka for simplifying mental health and how important it really is. When I think of self-care, I imagine I must spend money for solo dates and all that jazz. But really, it is all about healing mentally, spiritually, and obviously physiologically.
That brings us to the end of episode 2 of Sisters Without Shame, proudly brought to you by Health Form Zanzim. From me, Lulu Ngakani. And me, Sinesi Potom. Have a great week and remember to show some love by sharing this podcast with a friend. 